Well, I'm honored to have you all here today. So good to have you with us. My name is Mark. If it's your first time at our church, we believe that God loves you. We believe that he brought you here today on purpose. We believe that his goodness will meet you right where you are. If you're atheist or agnostic, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, doesn't matter what your background is, we believe in a God that will meet you where you are. He loves you so much, though, he won't leave you where you are. That's what's cool about God is people say, well, Mark, if God was love, he would just let me be as I am, where I am, for as long as I am. The truth is, if your kids were playing on the freeway, as much as you love them, you wouldn't let them hang out there. You would say, I'll meet you in the freeway, but we're not going to stay there. I'm going to bring you somewhere safe. Amen? And that's what God does with all of us. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, you can grab it open. Uh, we, we started a series last Sunday appropriately titled Miracle Season. I don't know if you know this, but Christmas is a miracle season. We know Hallmark Channel's talking about it. We know all the movies. Can we all agree that the Hallmark movies are all the same movie? Actually, same cast, too. Uh, just a little bit tweaked. But uh, Miracle Season is you know, about, we celebrate this idea that Jesus was born, and uh, it was a virgin birth. It was a sinless man, fully God, fully man, changed humanity, changed history. Quite frankly, if Jesus wasn't born and died on the cross and resurrected, you would never know his name fact that we all know this guy, a Jewish carpenter from the first century that actually died a criminal's death on a cross, started a new religious sector that somehow with 3.6 million people in Palestine with 120 to 30,000 odds, they turned the world upside down in 30 years. They said these are the men that are responsible for turning the world upside down. How do you turn a world upside down when your leader was crucified as a murderer on a cross? Well, you do it because historians like Josephus declare that the only people, uh, that there's never been anyone in history that had the authority to do miracles and to evict dark demons before Jesus. Somehow, some way, the ministry of Jesus in the first century and ever since that window has had the authority to do miracles and to exercise darkness. There was thousands of people that were crucified on the cross. We don't know any of their names until Jesus. So, that's just not my notes. It's just kind of rambling in my head today. I was thinking about uh, today we're in a miracle season. Christmas is a miracle season. And uh, my mentor used to say this. He goes, Mark. Whatever you want to see more of in your church, talk about it on Sundays. So I'm like, what's a good idea? Let's talk about miracles. Let's talk about the goodness of God. And so today, I'm going to open up my Bible. Scholars are pretty much unanimous that this is the best named book in the Bible. It's the book of Mark. We're going to go to Mark chapter 1. I'd like to, I'd like to also mention, if your name's Mark, that it is with a K. It's in the canon of Scripture, so we know what the proper spelling is. And uh, Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to turn this morning. Uh, do my very best. I'm going to open up the Bible. People say, Mark, what makes Ocean's Church kind of special? Well, we're going to study the Bible. We're going we're to receive the inspiration of it, the instruction of it. We're going to get educated by it. But we're not going to stop there. We're going to actually have an encounter with God. I think many churches you go to, you can learn up here. But you don't be, you're not transformed in here. I think knowledge is what starts transformation, but it doesn't end it. And so God will start with informing us, enlarging us, but then always remember this, that his power always leads us to a moment of transformation. And so today, we're going to read in Mark chapter 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. And uh, we're the second message of this series, and next Sunday, I want to encourage you. Again, if you want to sign up for Ocean's College, do that. 
That starts in about three weeks. But also next Sunday is our Christmas Sunday. So we do two services in the morning, 9 and 11, and San Juan at 9.30. That's three services, preacher. Okay. Math wasn't my major. Come on. And then we're going to do two services here at Bake, which will be our candlelight Christmas services. Those are our favorite of the year. I'm telling you, you have friends that will never go to church except if it's Easter or if it's Christmas. So make sure you invite those people out. We're believing that God's going to get a hold of their heart this year. And they're going to go from two times a year to maybe three or four times a year or better. Amen? Take what we can get. So I'm excited. Uh, it's going to be a great time today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to jump into our second message in our miracle season. And uh, this is very important. Today, I feel like last night as I was spending time with God and this week, I, I feel like he was asking me, Mark, set a foundation for my people to have a grid to actually gauge why and what and how miracles work today. So my, my thesis this morning is uh, I want to talk a little bit about the subject of miracles. I know there's a lot of taboo floating around the subject. We have hyper-miracle people. We have anti-miracle people. And we have kind of everybody in between. It's kind, of, it's kind of a subject, honestly, in the, in the Protestant church that has a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of controversy around it. What I have found is anywhere you find people arguing over a doctrine, buried underneath the controversy is usually some truth. And what happens usually is God will present a present-day truth to the church. Someone will take it too far into heresy. And then what happens is the next generation goes, you're crazy. Let's go the opposite way. And they pendulum swing the opposite way. And you go from too much power to no power. And then you have this, this, uh, you with me today? All right. So you guys ready to go? All right. We're going to have a good time. If you get bored today, you're boring. So I'm not a boring preacher. Everyone said Amen. Even when it's my old man service. Got your Bibles? All right. We got our Bibles. Mark chapter 1. We're going to go to chapter 1, verse 40. I want to read a miracle story. And the, the, my favorite aspect of the story I want to emphasize to you is it deals with maybe one of the biggest questions in humanity as it pertains to God. Does God want to heal? Let me say it this way. Is it God's will? To heal. I think everyone's asked this question somewhere sometime. Sometimes we go, well, if God wants to heal, why doesn't he do it every time? If God wants to heal, why doesn't he heal? And so today I want to I do my very best to kind of lay a foundation that our church can build on in the future. And I want you to catch this in your heart today. Uh, I want you to write this phrase down. We're not going to build Ocean's Church on miracles. But we are going to build Ocean's Church on the miracle worker. There is a big difference. Some people chase miracles. We're not chasing miracles. We're chasing the miracle worker. Does that make sense? We're not after the promised land. We're after the promised sir. If you get the promised sir, you get the promised land. And so I want to make it very clear today that we're not going to worship the miracles, the signs, the wonders. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to honor the Holy Spirit. And when you have God, you have what comes with him. Amen? So if you're taking notes today, my title for you is uh, we're going to have some fun today. If you're brand new, I'm going to read five verses out of Mark 1. I'm going to pray. I'm going to tell a story. And I have uh, three points for you. And, uh, and then we're going to pray at the end, and God's going to heal some people. You guys ready to go? Just fired up. There's someone in here, you have uh, early onslaught emphysema. And God is going to heal you in this service. And you're going to get your breathing capacity back. And your oxygen levels, your doctor's even going to have a resp resp respirator. Uh, 
respiratory therapist, and they will confirm that it was this week that your oxygen levels returned to normal. It's the kind of God that we serve. Yeah, there's someone like some sort of black lung condition. Some sort of weird, almost mold in your house or in your upbringing. There's some, some sort of black issue in your lung. And I see God healing it in this service. So I just, I, sometimes God will show you stuff. And uh, I want you to know it's not weird to hear God's voice. Bible says, my sheep know my. So you can say this way, it's weird when you're God's kid and you don't hear his voice. It's the birthright of every believer. Everyone said amen. I love John Wimber. He said, everyone gets to play. When it comes to hearing God's voice, everybody gets to play. And so uh, that's what I saw. And so we're going to open up our Bibles. Now, why do you think God did that? I'll teach for a second here. I think sometimes God will tell us what he'll do before he does it to elevate the environment. Because if you know that God's in the neighborhood healing your neighbor, he's in the neighborhood and he can maybe heal you. Yeah, while we're at it, there's someone trying to get pregnant. And I think that today's the day that God's going to touch your body. Let's believe. Come on, miracle. Can we believe this? We're talking about a miracle season. Going to church without miracles, talking about, that's like talking about food at a buffet and no one's eating. I'm not going to do that to you today. You guys ready? If we're going to the Golden Corral, we're going in. No, we're not. Lord help us. All right. You know what I'm talking about. John, Mark, there we go. Mark, chapter, chapter 1, verse 40. Now a, verse, verse, just five verses today. Now a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him, saying, if you are willing, if you are, if you are, one more time, you can. I want you to circle those two words. You can. I think God responds really well to those two words. I found that doubt and unbelief lives in those two words with an apostrophe T. You can't. But I love this leper because he comes to him. He says, if you're willing, you can. Make me clean. Then Jesus moved with not money, not followers, not fame, not status. He was moved with compassion. Stretched out his hand and touched him. Poor translation of the Greek language. It actually means that he hugged him. It was an embrace, which is a pretty big deal with a contagious condition. He hugs the leper. He said to him, I am. Can you stop there for a minute? Sometimes we read it too, we read it too fast and we forget that he's saying something more than what he's saying. If you read it fast, you read, I am willing. But if you read it the proper way, you would read it as, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm the doorway. I am. Are you hearing me? Like, he has a lot of I am's in the Bible. So Jesus is introducing a new I am under a new covenant of grace. And here's the new I am introduced in Mark chapter 1. Not only am I the way, am I the truth, am I the life, I am. This is really important today. Willing. Really. Yeah, I am willing be cleansed. And as soon as he'd spoken, immediately the leprosy left him. How fast did it happen? Immediately. I love those kind of miracles. And he was cleansed. He strictly warned him. Jesus did. 
to go away at once and said, see to it that you say nothing to anyone. Don't say anything to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer them the cleansing of the things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. It's found in Leviticus chapter 14. And so Jesus is like, it's, scholars say it wasn't his time yet. He wasn't trying to cause a uproar of followership before the time was right. So he tried to keep the miracle on the down low. How many know that Jesus knew that he was going to tell people anyways? You think he was kind of thrown off by this? He's like, where was the leak at? Where was the mole? And I don't think he was. I don't think he was cut off by this guy leaking the information. Watch what it says in verse 45. However, even though he said don't say anything to anybody, it says he went his way and began to proclaim it freely to everybody. So that Jesus could no longer go openly into the city but had to go outside of the deserted places, and they came to him from every single direction. When miracles show up, people will arrive from all different directions. They'll come from the highways, the byways, from religion, from no religion, from, from confused identities. When people start getting healed, they show up to Jesus from all directions. So, love it. Let's uh, talk a little bit this morning. I have a title for you. I thought about it from Frequent Flying. I want you to write this title down, Willing and Able. And my prayer today would be this would be the foundation that we could build our theology of miracles on at Ocean's Church. You guys ready to go? So I'm doing a little more teaching than normal. They say preachers yell it and teachers tell it. So I'll do a little bit of both. Is that all right? Lord, we love you. Meet us here today. I pray for the hard heart that you would soften it. I pray for those that need a touch from heaven that you would touch them. I pray for those that need to be delivered from a darkness, an ailment, a demon, that you would set them free today. And I pray for sick bodies. God, do today what only you can do. We declare that Jesus Christ is Lord over this room, Lord over this atmosphere. And we know that when God shows up, anything is possible. So, Lord, today, do what only you can do in the way that only you can do it. And we give you all honor and all the glory. In Jesus Christ's name, the name above all names. And everyone shouted a good amen. 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 Third service. We're going strong. Anybody flying out of town on the holidays? Anyone flying out of town on the holidays? I have a little bit of a bone to pick with the airline companies. I think it's a little bit unjust that they know we're going home for the holidays and they spike the prices 30 times up. $100 plane ticket turns into like, let's refinance our house. Go home for the holidays. I, I particularly, I flew a lot in the former season of my life before we started Oceans Church. Got to travel all over the world as an evangelist and preach the gospel all over the earth. Spent a lot of time in the airplane. Flew about 125,000 miles a year for about 10 years. And so went to a lot of airports. Had a lot of bitterness pent up from the airport experiences. Can we agree that it's a little bit obnoxious when your bag is one pound overweight and you have that terrible option They go, all right, it's going to cost six grand or you're going to publicly humiliate yourself and you're going to show this entire terminal how poor your packing skills are. And they ask you, I want you to get rid of 1.5 pounds. I'm like, I don't have a dumbbell in my bag that's 1.5 pounds. This is going to be a guessing game. And by the way, I'm like, where do you expect me to put it? They say, in your carry-on. I'm like, last time I checked, that's going on the plane too. They're both going on the plane. And if this really was about the weight, why is there no scales with the passengers? This is not a weight issue. This is a greed issue. Can I get an amen? 
fires me up. I'm like, really? COVID comes out. They're like, we're all in this together. I'm like, no, we're not. Charge me $80 for one pound. It's ridiculous. Then you get on the plane. You ever been in a, you ever been like early morning flight? You get on there and just pass out. It's glorious. And next thing you know, you're getting woken up. They're like, sir, pull your seat up. I'm like, excuse me? You're telling me this is the difference between lethal and safe. Deadly and safe. You're going to die, you're going to live. You're going to die, you're going to live. That's ridiculous. And what really gets me is the exit seat. The exit seat. You ever sat in, who's ever sat in the exit seat? Raise your hands. Let's give all these unsung heroes a hand clap. They were almost first responders. That's a big deal. They come up to you. They say, hey, are you willing and are you to help save the souls of every human being on this vessel in case of an emergency? And it's just so funny to me. People are just so nonchalant. I'm like, yeah. And all you got to do is say three letters. Yes. You got to be out loud. I'm like, man, I wish buying a house was that easy. Are you willing to take care of this mortgage for the rest of your life? If so, say yes. Yes! Somehow you can't buy a house that easily, but you can save a plane. By just saying, there's no contract, no fine print. It seems like a pretty nonchalant cavalier arrangement that the hope of the plane is dependent on you being willing and being able. I'll be honest, I wasn't always a Christian, so my brain always isn't sanctified. And there's moments when I'm watching, I'm sitting right behind the exit seats, and I'm just kind of, I'm kind of sizing all of them up. I'm like, she's willing. She's not able, though. This goes down, we're in trouble. And I've seen, I've seen guys, I'm like, that guy's able, but he looks selfish. This thing goes down, he's going to help himself. I'm like, he's able, but he ain't willing. And I was thinking about what a rare combination it is when someone has the power to be both willing and to be able. I think some people don't believe in miracles because they think that either, number one, God, God's will is not to heal. Or they think God is willing, but he's handcuffed by his sovereignty. He chooses not to interfere in the politics and the policies and the lifestyles and the intricacies of humanity's life. That somehow he's checked out, kind of like on a cosmic vacation, maybe a cosmic cruise, watching his grandkids from some other universe while we live our lives, that he's disenfranchised from the power acts of our existence. He's willing, but I don't know if he's really Abel. I think the story is really cool because two reasons, really big reasons here. I'm going to try to give you a little, is this going to give you a little theology today? It's important because this, this leper, the person that interjects and actually allows us to see the willingness of God is the most unsuspecting, unlikely person to receive a miracle. You see, in the ancient world, the outcast of societies was lepers. Lepers were a people group. There was three predominant forms of leprosy. 
the most aggressive of which would take your life in about eight years, nine years. And so it was a terminal condition. It was an incurable disease. It actually was something that was highly contagious, and it was actually a condition that labeled you unclean. So much so that you could only interact with people that had your same degenerate condition. To be a leper was to be dead while you still live. And it's interesting that in the Bible, oftentimes leprosy is correlated to sin. Why would leprosy be like sin? Well, it's because it's deeper than the skin. It's because it spreads. It's because if you sin long enough, it will defile, it'll defile you and it'll eventually isolate you. If you give yourself your sin appetite, it'll eventually defile you to the point that you are isolated, rendering things only fit for the fire. That's what one scholar said. It's like, wow, it's pretty heavy. Think about this, though. When you are a leper, you are disenfranchised from, from everybody. You think about the most disenfranchised people groups of our, of our day, the worst of the worst. These will be the lepers of this hour. And this leper comes to Jesus, and he does better than 50% of Orange County. Because he comes to Jesus, and he says, if you are willing, you you so he knows that God is able he just doesn't know if God is willing that would be rooted in his his issues his his trauma his conditions like God could probably heal good people that are deserving of it but I am a leper the lowest of the low the outest of the out and so I know you can I just don't know if it's your will you know, what, you know what the will is? The will is the desire. People say, what is the will of God? It is the desire of God. When you write a will, a living testament, you say, it is my will that my daughter inherits this and my other daughter inherits this. Your will states your... Are you with me today? You still have that third service, but come on, this is better than your respondent. It's your will. It's your desire. And so God comes on the scene and, and, the, and the leper reveals, he goes, is it your desire that I could change? That my life could change? That you could write a new story, a new ending, something different than what I'm experiencing? I know you can. I know you're able, but are you willing? And I think 50% of Orange County, their mind is vexed on the topic. They either think that God is not willing that he would heal, or if he is willing, he's not able to heal. So we have a problem that's either lacking sovereignty or lacking sufficiency. So the leper comes on. He says, uh, well, are you willing? Today we have a problem with miracles. We have a problem with them. Some, some people, they, they view it in hyper extremes. Many people have problems with miracles in Christianity because sometimes the ones that have ministries that have miracles end up becoming people that have low character but powerful meetings. And whenever you see someone that has power with no character, it makes you want to flush it all out. One of the issues we come across is that Luther and Calvin, during the, the Great Reformation, Luther and Calvin, great reformers, great leaders of the Reformation, but they reacted to the Catholic notion that the existence of miracles confirmed that their theology was right. But these great reformers threw out the baby with the bathwater. What do you mean? They denied 
the need for miracles as a normal expression of our faith, which did this. It created the idea that it's noble to believe without signs and wonders. Let me say this way. It had value because we don't want to put all of our eggs in the basket of we worship miracles. But at the same time, watch what it does, is it created a powerless gospel that's been applauded as virtuous. What do you mean? I mean that there's a, there's a sense in the, in, the, in the Protestant world that doesn't value God moving today, that if you can be loyal to God, loyal to church, loyal to your Bible, even though you don't hear Him, feel Him, know Him, or see Him, it's virtuous. I'll go to church every week and be bored out of my mind. Because I'm going to do God a favor. I'm going to believe that God doesn't heal, doesn't speak, doesn't move. And all the good things that, that had, had bearing to change the early world in the church is no longer here today. It evaporated with the apostles. The problem is, is that a Christianity without miracles and power requires no faith. And whenever you have a theology that requires no faith, maybe you're living a life that can no longer please God. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe, must believe, must believe, must believe that he exists and that he is a yeah, there's that crazy word, rewarder. That's the problem with those that have dispensationalist theologies is they don't think God is interested in rewarding. He doesn't reward faith, doesn't reward devotion, doesn't reward prayer or fasting. And whenever you develop a theology that dis disregards the Father's heart to reward, you end up believing that you are better to your kids than God is to his. Sorry, I feel... The third service here is going to be fired up. 37 miracles of Jesus. 37. The only commonality is that everyone that got healed had a need. And he healed everybody that was brought to him and even some that weren't. But everyone that came to him got healed. It's interesting today why we in many churches don't believe that God can do miracles anymore. It's strange to think that how many people don't want to pursue the power of God, the miracles of God, because they don't want to ruin God's reputation. What if I step out and it offends the masses? What if I pray for someone and God doesn't come through and it leaves a bad witness? What if it brings shame to the Lord? I have found that when we live under those clouds, ultimately we have bowed to the fear of man. We care more about what people think about us than what people think about God. I have found that even people that I prayed for that didn't get healed appreciated the fact that I believed that to be true about God. Thank you for praying for me. Even if I don't get healed, that made me feel seen by God. People say, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. There's only one word in the Western church that's Hebrew that everyone seems to speak it's Yabat. Yabat. Yabat's a Jewish word that we say all the time in America when you say God can heal anybody and then the Western world says, yeah, but not people like this. God is sovereign. Yeah, but not all the time. God can do anything. Yeah, but not today. 
Yeah, but. <laughs> it's better than irresponsible. Keep rolling. <laughs> Problem many times is, is we've seen power without character. And if there's character lacking, we think, man, let's just err on just being men and women of virtue and not get twisted into this power trip. So you have power ministries that have had a negative connection at times with people of low character, and it damages. The problem is you can't correct a problem of power by just emphasizing the fruit of the Spirit. You somehow don't show the world the fullness of God by just going after his fruit and disregarding his power. It's amazing to me. There is no other way to, I believe, see God's power move in a way that it should until the church grabs a hold of this idea of praying. Seems to be every time Jesus does something pretty remarkable, pretty miraculous, there's always somebody praying. He got alone all the time, and he prayed. I think many churches are void of power because we have great preaching but not great praying. I think if there was more praying in the church, we'd see more power in the church. Ultimately, I heard it said, uh, prayer is the secret power of the church. I heard a maestro that once said, if I don't play the piano and practice for the day, I know it. If I miss two days of practice, my friends know it. If I miss three days of practice, the whole world knows it. Thus, preachers can trick people with, sh- with shoddy study, but not slipshod praying. The church both knows and feels when we starve the secret place. Something about getting alone with God that gives power to the public sector. Wise preachers teach others how to pray. We teach prayer by practicing it. I was thinking about, I heard, I heard a preacher one time say that our preaching should produce saints. And the only one that can do that is the Holy Spirit. I need more prayer before we can get into more pulpits. It's interesting here today. Uh, A.W. Tozer said it best. He said that we're going to, we're one day not only going to be judged by what we did, but also by what we could have done. I think prayer, I was thinking about this all of the last two weeks. You talk to our staff, they'll they'll reaffirm this. Is in the Protestant movement, the only variation really of expression is one word. It's called expectations. Some people believe that Jesus came to the earth to save them from their sins. That's true. Say with me, salvation. Some people will take it past salvation. They say, Jesus died on the cross to cleanse you from your unrighteousness. Say with me, true. Some people take it past that. They say, no, he came to indwell you with the Holy Spirit. Come on, say with me, say true. But he goes past that. He says, I came to endue you with power from on high. That's true. But beyond that, he says, yeah, and when that happens, there'll be an anointing. And that anointing will cause signs and wonders to follow your life. People go, I don't know about signs and wonders. Well, signs are never intended to be worshipped. I've used this before, but I use it again. That exit plastic sign in the event of an emergency is not what we try to pack into. Are you with me today? If the fire breaks out, we're not all jumping onto the plastic sign. We're looking at the sign to show us the door. Signs and wonders. They're not destinations. And the extreme and the hyper-spiritual church is, we're going to go to a church that worships miracles. We're not going to do that. 
Because when you do, you start packing into the little plastic sign. See, miracles, signs, and wonders point to a person. They point to a relationship. They point to a door. Hear me today. Ultimately, miracles, they have an expiration date. You know, even when God brought Lazarus back from the dead, do you know that he died one day? So you raised him from the dead only for him to die decades later? Yeah. You're saying that the blind kid that got his sight back eventually died? Yeah. That the deaf girl that got her hearing back died? Yeah. All miracles will eventually have an expiration date. So if you're saying that miracles don't last forever, why would God impose his willingness and his ability to do them? I'm glad you asked that theological question. It's because there's something in the miracle that lends credibility to our relationship with the eternal. There's something about the way if you go, God, if you could do this to my ear, what could you do to my soul? If you could open up the barren womb, maybe you could open up my hard heart. There's something. Jesus said if this this generation doesn't see miracles, it will by no means believe. There's something about the impossible that connects us to God and to the eternal in a way that nothing else seems to connect us. So people say, I don't know. I don't know about miracles because let's just be clear. Jesus, Jesus, three things about him is he was not a sensationalist. Some people in Orange County, they don't believe in miracles because everyone that seems to believe in them are showy, flashy, obnoxious, in your face, and braggadocious. And it doesn't really seem like Jesus' humility to get up and beat your chest and tell people how awesome you are. That make sense? The guy on TV that's just so showy. I think that some people don't believe in miracles because they go, well, this is just a show. This guy's just a showman. This woman's just a showman. Seems like Jesus wasn't trying to bring any unwanted attention to himself. He's like, go and tell nobody. And he tells everybody. And then he tells us in Mark 16, Matthew 28, and and Acts 1, he says, go into all the world and tell everybody. And we're like, no, we're going to keep this quiet. So Mark 1, he says, don't tell anybody. He's telling everybody. And he tells all of us to tell everybody we're telling nobody. This is a crazy paradox. I think the chasm is power. Yeah, I think the chasm is power. Because this guy was motivated to tell because of what he experienced. It was too good to keep quiet. And I think so many Christians today don't have anything that's too good to keep quiet. Yeah, it's going to get quiet up in here for a second. We live our whole lives out of virtue of nobility that I serve God even though I've never seen his power, never walked with his power, never seen a demon exercise, never seen a miracle happen, but I still trust him. And listen to me, there's an element of that that's good. But there's also an element of that that should make you hungry for more. And I think that's what God wants. He wants us to realize that he's a miracle-working God. There's miracles all the time. There's natural miracles. Do you know that God wired your body to heal itself? If he didn't, when you cut your finger when you were a kid, you would have bled to death. Your blood coagulated. That's fun to say. Say it again. Coagulated. It's like saying Francisco. Coagulated. There's natural miracles. Your body heals itself. There's medical miracles. We know that to be true. Chemotherapy, radiation, there's things that God allowed doctors to help us with that healed us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. I am grateful for medical miracles. 
Who's ever had a medical, uh, who's ever had a broken bone? Anybody? Who's ever gotten a surgery before? Surgery, outpatient, inpatient? Who's ever gotten, come on, uh, plastic surgery? No, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Cosmetic surgery? We're in Orange County. Medical miracles. And then there's, there's miracle miracles. I didn't have time to break this down. I, had, I always have more notes than I have time to share them. But when you're in third service, you just let it rip. So no backstop to this service. Someone say you're not the smartest crowd of the day. Miracles. There was, there was miracles that Jesus did over nature. There was miracles of multiplication, supply. There was miracles of healing. And there was miracles over demons. These are miracles that Jesus did that there was no one else that has ever done. What do you mean over nature? I mean that he did things like he changed the genetic makeup of water and made it wine. That he actually, over nature, told the sea and the wind to shut up. Be still. That's a weak translation. He got from the bow of the boat and said, shut up. I'm like, okay. Over nature. Told Peter, come out on the waters. Him and Peter walked on water over nature. Told the fish, go to the right side of the ship right now and get in that net until you sink that boat over nature are you hearing me today i could go on over and over again when he told the demons get out of the pigs or get out get out of the man and go into the pigs and they ran into the water i could tell you stories about how uh the fig tree he's like you know what no one's ever gonna eat from you again curse be this fig tree and they came back and the tree listened to his voice Jesus doesn't seem to be bilingual or trilingual or quadlingual. He seems to be omnilingual. He speaks to trees. He speaks to frogs. He speaks to locusts. He speaks the language of creation. He's a miracle-working God. Wild that in our day, we don't believe in miracles because of sensationalism or because of confessionalism. People that don't believe in miracles because they've heard the extreme hyper word of faith, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. I have a Rolls Royce. I have 14 jets. I have more gold than Mr. T. And because we've seen hyper claiming with faith, listen to me very clearly. I do believe that your words have power. Can I get an amen? I do believe that your words will paint a reality of your future. I do believe that. But listen, make no mistake about it. When it comes to sickness, when it comes to miracles, note this, very important. Faith is not denying the facts. It's stating the truth. Some people bought into this lie that when you're sick, you can't say, the doctor said I have cancer. Because somehow that's owning or collecting something that doesn't belong to you. That's hyper, that's hyper confessionalism. What we do is we say, the doctor said this facts but usually where facts stop truth begins facts i have an autoimmune disease truth god can heal me facts i have a virus right now truth god can heal me F facts we good i'm not going to go any further that more but i'm just like Pace yourself, Mark. All right, keep going. Confessionalism. Thirdly, dispensationalism. Jesus is not a dispensationalist. He didn't retire his power when he finished his ministry and when the apostles finished their ministry. 
there is a heresy in our in, in, in the church world that states that miracles only needed to happen in the lifetime of Jesus and his followers to validate his message. And to that I would say, why would you start something and say, see you later? Now enjoy it without me. If it was just for the apostles, then why were people like Ananias, who was not an apostle? Why did they do miracles? Why did people like Stephen, who wasn't an apostle, do miracles? Why was it, are you hearing, I go down the list of people in the New Testament that were not apostles. Seemed to keep smoking the same stuff the apostles did and kept getting the power of God. They didn't smoke, but just I was just using that as a... All right, still with me? It's third service. Is it says, it's interesting, there's three types. So there's, there's these miracles. So there's natural, there's, there's miracles of supply that God multiplies loaves and fish and oil that doesn't run dry. There's, there's miracles of healing that God healed all who were brought to him and healed all their diseases and did things that no one else can do. And then there was, there, there was miracles of exhorting, or excuse me, exercising demons out of people. I know we don't talk much about demons. It makes people nervous. I'm not, I'm not trying to endorse that we should have this happen all the time. But I want to be very clear with you that there are demons, and not all demons are sickness, and not all sickness are demonic. But historically in the Bible, there, are connection, there is connection sometimes with a spirit of infirmity and an issue in somebody's body. And we know that whether it was dumbness, deafness, foaming at the mouth, fits, insanity, gnashing of the teeth, sickness, screaming, suicide, exhaustion, these were demonic attributes that before Jesus, no one ever had the authority to get rid of. You study history under no other religious leader. Was there ever anybody that told the demonic people of the world to get out? And somehow that power wasn't just reserved to one man. He distributed to his followers. There's two wild things he told his, his crowd. He said, I'm going to give you authority to cast out devils and to cleanse the lepers. These would have been the two greatest miracles of that day. Lepers? That's incurable. Demons? Who has authority to do that? And that's why 3.6 million people in Palestine with 120 to 30,000, one to every 30,000, they turn the world upside down. And from Acts 1 to Acts 28, it goes from the corner of Palestine until Paul is standing before Caesar in Rome. And the accusation of the early church, these guys turn the world upside down. How? Because miracles were a part of the message. Amen? I think I already shared the quote. But miracles aren't the whole gospel. But without miracles, the gospel's not whole. Can I can wrap this up? So let me ask you three questions. I want you to answer these questions. Why does God heal? Number one, very clear in Mark. It says he was moved with what? Compassion. So here's the part that we get in trouble as human beings. We say, well, what if God doesn't heal? Does that mean he lacks compassion? No, that means he's God and sees what we don't. Problem with most Christians in the world today is we think if someone dies of a sickness, then somehow we lost. That would only be true if we weren't going to heaven forever. 
So yes, I prefer the stories like Judy's that we get to go, hey, life on this side of eternity. But make no mistake about it, the mortality rate hovers right around 100%. No one's getting off this rock alive. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Heaven views death as a vacated cocoon. Think about that. We always say, well, if you die, like, well, it's over. No, you're just getting started. That's why it's so important to live for eternity. So why does God heal compassion? And truthfully, what makes God who he is is he gets to decide what prayers he wants to answer. That's the problem with many atheists and agnostics. They don't like that because they have to relinquish their control. You don't, listen, God's not working for you. He doesn't owe you an explanation. He's not your little employee. That's where you got it wrong. You went to, you went to some big university and you think somehow, some way in all of your intelligence that God owes you something. He owes you nothing. He's God. And if he answered every prayer that you prayed, every time you prayed it, in some way you'd be sitting in his seat. What makes God who he is is the ability to choose what he wants to honor. And we trust him with both results. Because truthfully, sometimes it's the prayers that he doesn't answer that you thank him for the most later. You're like, man, if I would have married the first girl I prayed for, come on, somebody. Thank you, Jesus, for not hearing all my dumb prayers. That's why he's God. Compassion. Well, here's the second question. Is it God's will to heal? Big question. You guys still with me? I know it's 2.30. We're burning in the afternoon right now. We're like two games in already. We missed the football right now. You still with me? Is it God's will to heal? So we know. He goes, uh, I'm a leper. I'm the worst of the worst. I'm the lowest of the low. I know you're able, but are you willing? I know you can, but are you willing? And here's my thesis. If he's willing and he's able with a leper in the first century, he's willing and he's able in 2022. He's willing and he is able. Well, then why doesn't it happen all the time? Number one, it does happen a lot. We got a ton of people in our church that have miracle stories. If you've been healed by God, raise your hand at some point in your life. Okay, so number one, Jethro, miracles do happen. You're probably looking in the wrong places. Number two, when they don't happen, let's ask why. They don't happen sometimes because we're in a fallen world. How about this? We, uh, we're too intelligent. We rely more on our doctors and on our medicine than we do on God. Why is it in Africa and other third world nations, they get miracles when that God's their only option? And we come to America and we're like, well, I'll go to UC Irvine, I'll go to Santa Barbara, I'll go to this specialist, that specialist. I'm not against it. I'm just saying sometimes we trust more in medicine than we do in God. God is not anti-medicine, but also I think it's also that God wants us to trust in Him more than our intelligence alone. Something powerful happens when we give our intelligence to God. And we say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, whether it's medical, whether it's supernatural, or whether it's both. I'm going to live highly dependent upon you. Sometimes miracles don't happen because there's spiritual warfare. 
Daniel was a pretty righteous guy, and it says that Gabriel uh, was sent as soon as he prayed. But it took 21 days to push back the prince of Persia. There is a battle going on in the heavenlies, and sometimes we ask and we keep on. We knock and we keep on because there's this thing called spiritual warfare. And I know it's not popular. Most young preachers don't talk about it, mostly because they don't pray. Pop my ears here. They don't believe in prayer, and because they don't believe in spiritual warfare, they don't believe in personal prayer, and it's, it's hard to teach on things you don't believe in your own life. But I want you to know if Daniel's like, yeah, it took 21 days for the angels to break through. There's going to be moments of our life that God sends help today, but we don't see help till later. And we got to ask and keep on. We got to knock and keep on. Very, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm, just stand your feet, I'm finished. Last question. Well, can God heal someone like me? You know, I love this story. In Bible days, if you and I came in contact with a leper, we'd have to run to the church. We have to do a ceremony that washed us and got us cleansed. We'd have a couple days of being unclean. Because in Bible days, when anyone that was unclean touched someone that's clean, listen to me, the clean would become unclean. Jesus is the only human being that's ever lived that when he collided with a woman with the issue of blood, unclean. When she touched Jesus, Jesus didn't get dirty. She got clean. Jesus, first one in history, that when a leper touched him, hugged him, Jesus didn't have to go do a ceremony to get clean. He had to go do a ceremony to celebrate that he was clean. It, look, this is not a Chuck Norris joke. I know it sounds like it. This Chuck Norris joke that says when Chuck Norris jumps into the water, Chuck Norris doesn't get wet, the water gets Chuck Norris. Come on. When Jesus gets touched by something unclean, Jesus doesn't get dirty. The dirty gets clean. Are you hearing me today? That's why we love God. He can heal anyone, anywhere, anytime, diseased or demonized. Diseased or demonized. God can do both. I want to remind you that Jesus stopped the earth from spinning so the Israelites could keep on fighting. I want to remind you there's a story that Elijah outrun a chariot for at least 15 miles. I want to remind you that a bunch of people God, uh, God brought back to life after the resurrection in Matthew 27. That Jesus fed 20,000 plus people with a kid's lunch. That he made a metal snake one time on a pole and everyone that had got bitten by a snake, God healed. That he caused a donkey to talk. He caused flour and oil to never run out. And Jesus have the power to turn water into wine. He is a miracle working. And I don't know what else to tell you other than we're going to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego like this. We're going to believe that our God can and our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, will die swinging for the fence. Like Hebrews 11 says, and these men and women died in faith. Julie, you can live in doubt or you can die in faith. And I would rather live in faith and die in faith than to do either one of those in doubt. 
Amen. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would evict darkness. And I pray that you would fill bodies right now with the power that comes from heaven. Eyes closed, heads bowed, out of time. Doing great on time though. Get you out of here. If you're here today and you say, Mark, I need a miracle physically, mentally, whether it's a disease or you feel like maybe it's a demon, like having panic attacks, anxiety, fear, whether it's physical or spiritual, I want to pray for miracles to break out even now. Influenza, there's epilepsy, there's someone with a bump under your armpit. God is healing right now. All over the room today, someone's an issue with your lungs. Like there's like blackness in your lungs. God's healing degenerate lungs. All over the room today, third service, just to be favored. If you, if you have a need today and you would love it if God would heal that need, meet that need, just lift your hands right now. Just lift your hands, close your eyes, lift your hands all over the room. It doesn't make you strange, it makes you obedient. God, I have a need, would you heal me? Hands up all over today. If someone's hands up next to you, would you just put your hand on their shoulder right now all over the room? Find one person, just one person, one person. Maybe two people put a hand on their shoulder. From the back of the room to the front of the room. Come on, everybody gets a hand on their shoulder. Jesus said, these signs shall follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They will recover. I bind the spirit of infirmity, of mental illness, bipolar conditions, chemical imbalancement. I pray in Jesus' name you would heal broken minds, broken legs, broken intestines. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. We pray that you would evict the spirit of fear, confusion, and death. And I pray that you would arrest any demon trying to cause people to prematurely take their lives. I loose in Jesus Christ's name by the blood of the Lamb that God, that your word would be sent out and it accomplish everything you want it to do. I pray you'd heal minds, hearts, bodies now, organs, livers, kidneys, intestines. Do what only you can do. With your hand on them right now, pray this prayer. Say, in Jesus' name. With some conviction, say, in Jesus' name. We ask, we pray. You send your word, and you would heal. Top of their head, bottom of their feet. Meet them, heal them and do what only you can do let their story inspire faith for others as well in jesus name we ask and we pray come on if you receive just say i receive all over the room say i receive a touch from god in jesus name jesus name yeah just say amen come on give god a good hand clap real quick we're almost done I told this story the last two services. I gotta tell this service and we'll wrap this up. You know why we pray in Jesus' name? It reminds me, I went to a jewelry store about a month and a half ago. My friend recommended me there. He said, hey, I have a friend that owns this jewelry store. He put me in a text message with the owner. I never met the owner before, but upon arriving this fancy jewelry store, I came in, this guy's never met me before, but he's friends with my friend. And when I showed up, he says, uh, he says, who are you? I said, hey, I am so-and-so's friend. And the moment I used my friend's name, that's his friend, this guy rolled out the royal red carpet. He's like, oh, you're my friend's friend? 
and he treated me probably in many ways the way that he treats our mutual friend he ended up giving my daughters these free rings gave my wife a free cross necklace he's blessing my socks off listen i have no history with this guy but you know who did our mutual friend the reason why we pray in jesus name is because when we come into the presence of the father we say you know how you love your son you know how you want to reward your son i'm coming in his name does that make sense and it's crazy how god hooks you up because of the way that he loves and honors his son amen so the last thing we do today is if you're here and you're not living for god with god but you don't want to leave this one o'clock service until you've given your heart to jesus i'm going to ask you to close your eyes all over the room i'm certainly not going to embarrass you but i will give you the opportunity of a lifetime to actually invite the god that made you fashioned you formed you to come into your heart to come into your life to say i'm not going to just believe that god's real i want to surrender my whole life to him whether i have 10 years 10 days 10 decades i want to give god the rest of my life i want to live with him and for him from here out i was going to ask you to raise your hand i'm not going to call you forward i'm not going to embarrass you i was going to ask with every eye closed that you would raise your hand on the count of three to say you know what i want to give my whole heart to god today i want to live with him and I want to live for Him. From this day forward, I'm going to surrender my life to His Lordship. All over the room today. Doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're ready to give your heart to Him today. All over the room on the count of three, would you just raise your hands? We've had about 25 people today online and in the rooms do this. But there's more in this service. I'm going to, I'm going to count to three. You can start raising your hands now. I want to give my life back to God. All for the first time, I want to put my faith in Jesus. One all over the room eyes closed two real high i want to get right with god today three would you put your hand up i want to give my life back to god first time put my faith in jesus there's one there's one anybody else there's two anybody else anybody else two hands two hands two hands awesome awesome put your hands down pray this prayer of those two people oceans church say jesus i come today inviting you into every part of my life would you heal my mind would you cleanse me forgive me and make me clean fill me with your spirit direct my life come on say it like you mean it direct my life from this day forward speak to me as i read the bible and plant me in a healthy church disciple me and make me like you in jesus name and if you prayed that prayer, this is the beginning, not the end. And everyone said, Amen. Give God a good hand clap today.